Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we could be here today. Another year is upon us at camp. Lord, for, for some people, it's their first time here. For others, they've been here all their lives. And Lord, for even others, it's been a while since they've been here. It's their first time back. And we, Lord, we would pray that regardless of the time, that you would reach out and work in the individual hearts. You know our needs. You know what we're struggling with. You know why we're here. Father, you know what we need to hear. And so we pray that your spirit would do the talking tonight, that you would reveal your word, you'd reveal your will, and Lord, that you would uh, just draw us close. Lord, pray that, that you would shape us, that you'd convict us, and, um, and Lord, just hit where it counts so that we could be more like Jesus. And we pray it in his name, amen. Has anybody been robbed before? Um, you know, I know of a coworker. Some, some hands up. I, I know of a coworker that was robbed. He was walking back to his to the parking garage um, from work, and uh, we, I work in downtown Detroit. And even everybody's going to freak out. Detroit is relatively safe, even though I'm talking about somebody getting robbed. Uh, he's the only guy <laughs> that's had an issue. Um, and ironically, it was at five o'clock. It was. Uh, a street full of people. He was on a sidewalk that was busy and crowded, walking to, his, to the parking structure. Uh, and somebody in a nice suit bumped up against him, stuck him in the ribs, didn't even know if it was a weapon or if it was a finger, and said, give me your wallet. Kind of makes you feel vulnerable. And talking to my friend afterwards, he struggled for a while. You know, you're, you're, you're doing one of these, you're, you're checking behind you, trying to... Trying to Make sure you're safe. I remember uh, when we finished our church project, uh, interestingly enough, during the entire church construction project, we didn't have problems with anybody stealing anything. After we finished, somebody broke into the garage, of all things. Broke into the garage, stole compressor, ladders, power washer, etc., right? And uh, I remember talking to, to Brother Mark, uh, one of the, you know, another brother in the church, and and. We were trying to figure out how to protect the garage. We were getting down to, it's an architect and an engineer together, and we're getting to, uh, you know, well, we can make these, like, gates out of steel, and, and we're going to really, man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna protect the garage. It's a garage, but we were going to get it. Um, once it happens, you're aware. You look out. Uh, you hear about it happening to somebody else, and it's, you're like, it's not going to happen again. Have you ever been robbed but didn't know you were robbed? I, I read about, um, for those of you that are Starbucks fanatics, you might know about this. I read about an app, the Starbucks app. So the Starbucks app allows you to, uh, uh, it connects to your bank accounts, and it automatically, as you get to zero balance on your gift card in your, in your app, it automatically deducts another $50 from your bank account and plugs it into your, into your Starbucks app so that you can pay with your app, with your phone. You don't need to have a credit card or anything. You just scan your phone and you get your drink. So some smart guy figured out how to bust into people's Starbucks app accounts and was just downloading money from their app. And people, in some cases, depending on how they had the alert set up, didn't even know they were being robbed. You know, if you just take out 10 bucks, at the end of the month, 
you kind of look at your accounts, and I'm not sure if this is what happened, but I could imagine it happening. You look at your account, and you're like, I feel like I had more money, but I got I to stop drinking so much coffee or maybe cut down on the latte. Does your Christian life ever feel that way? Do you ever look back and say, I thought I had more. I thought there was more to it. I thought there was more substance. For those that, um, that have been to camp before and, and, and you've heard the message and you felt the prick and you decided to follow, I think there's probably a lot of people here who at one point or another in their life decided to follow. I'm going to follow Jesus. Make their commitment right here at camp. Maybe don't even talk to somebody here at camp, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk to a minister. I'm going to talk to an elder. And you get such a great start. And then what happens? You look back. And you're like, okay, this is like the fourth year in a row that I've done this. Something's wrong. So for the Christian, is something missing from your life? For the non-Christian who's sought God, what's happened? Are we being robbed? Are we being robbed without even realizing it? Turn with me to Second Chronicles. Uh, we're gonna, and I encourage all of you, turn with me. We're going to be looking um, at a certain individual. And look at him as an example. Second Chronicles. Let's look at chapter 17 of Second Chronicles. And so I want you to keep your Bibles open. Uh, we're going to look at 17, we're going to look at 18, we're going to look at 19 and 20. And we're not going to read all of them, but I want you to follow along. Um, it's the story of an individual. It's the story of an individual who maybe in some ways was a lot like us. A life full of potential. And we don't know if he ever looked back at his life and said, was this all there was to it? I thought there was so much more to the Christian walk. Probably didn't ask that question. But we're going to see some tidbits in his life that maybe will help guide us in our walk and in drawing closer with God. Uh, so he started out very zealous, just like every one of us who was baptized and had visions of being a missionary or of spreading the gospel, of changing the world. We read in chapter, one, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, in Jehoshaphat, his son, Asa's son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. This is the time of the divided kingdom. Ahab, bad king, is king of Israel. And now um, Asa has passed away. Asa ended up being a good king uh, in Judah. And his son, Jehoshaphat, takes over. And Jehoshaphat sets himself up against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Israel and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. And then listen to this. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David. I love that phrase. What does it mean to, when he walked in the first ways of his father David? So when you think of David, if, if I say, give me the story of David that comes to mind. David and Goliath, right? Everybody, David and Goliath. David, the puny teenage, the little runts whose brothers were so irritated with him for showing up and saying, well, isn't somebody stop Goliath? What's, really? You we're letting him get away with that? And it's just like, come on, kid, get out of here, go back home and take care of the sheep. That little David. No fear. No fear. No worry. 
He saw a problem and said, God can take care of it. I'll be the tool. I'll just gather five stones, a little sling, and let's see what God will do. Right? That David. The first ways of David we read in Second Chronicles. Not the later life of David where he compromised. Not the life of David where he, he compromised with Bathsheba or compromised with his son Absalom. Not that David. The young David. The on fire David. That's Jehoshaphat. God was with him, and the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Pay attention to that one. That comes back later. All right? He's following God. He sees Israel. No, that's, that's no good. We're not doing Israel. We're, 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 we're sticking with God. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches in honor and abundance, and his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. Now, the high places would have been altars potentially in the woods, potentially in the hills where they worshiped other gods like the god Balaam, a false god. That's what was the kind of the tradition in Israel, in Judah, sorry. And so he took those away. He cut them off and he cut off the groves, the the stands of trees where people might have worshiped false gods. Take those out. And even in verse nine, and they taught in Judah and had the book of the law with them and went about throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And so you have this zealous young man who's on fire for God. And he's, he's like, I'm not, I'm not stopping. We're cutting down the groves. We're knocking down the altars in the high places. We're not following after Israel. We're doing things right. We're going to do it according to the law. We've got the law. We're going to pass the law around to all the cities. Everybody's going to know what to do right. In the same way that the young David worked. Jehoshaphat works. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the land that were round about Judah so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat and they even brought presents. And you can just imagine, God blesses Jehoshaphat. The people love Jehoshaphat. He is taking care of his people. He is teaching them the law. He is reintroducing them to, to the God, Jehovah. And so the people respect their king. They bring presents to their king. The king can buy and build and make things better. And then other countries start to look and say, you know what? We don't want to mess with that guy. God is with that guy. I mean, look, he's got cities. He's got armies. And if we would read verses 10 through 19, we'd find out that his army was over a million strong. A million strong. The kingdom of Judah had an army that was over a million people. Today, there aren't too many armies in this world that are over a million people, just to put things in perspective. That's how big that army was. And the kingdoms were afraid because there was an, an army that was a million people strong, a million soldiers strong, standing at their doorstep. And then somewhere in here, Jehoshaphat got robbed. Didn't realize he got robbed, but he got robbed. Something was missing. And let's skip to verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 18. Now, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor. We just talked about that. In abundance. And joined affinity with Ahab. Now, wouldn't you say, wait a minute, time out. What's going on? We just read in the previous chapter, in chapter 17, uh, verse 4, that he walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. And Ahab is the king of Israel, and Ahab's the, the wicked king. 
he's the, the, the really bad king in Israel at this time that's doing horrible things. He and his wife. And all of a sudden, Jehoshaphat, his buddies. And after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance and for the people that he had with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab, he's no dummy. Dude, Jehoshaphat has a million people in his army. Jehoshaphat, why don't you come, let's have a meeting. I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to have a feast. I'm going to buddy-buddy with Jehoshaphat because his army is huge. And so Ahab convinces, we won't read all of chapter 18, you can read it, uh, convinces King Jehoshaphat to partner up. We're going to go to war together. And it's a whole separate sermon in here. We could, we could actually do a sermon just on chapter 18 and in part of chapter 18 because there's a prophet, um, a prophet called Micaiah that is, uh, is teaching the truth and is saying the truth and we have both kings that choose not to hear the truth. Uh, instead, they bring in, I believe, it's like 400 other prophets that tell them what they want to hear. And so Jehoshaphat and Ahab go to battle against the enemy. And let's look at... Uh, Verse, let me find it, verse 30. Oh, and we won't get into it too much, but the king of Israel, he was worried now because this, this prophet had said he was going to die and that, uh, that this wasn't a good idea, right? So the, the king of Israel, Ahab, dresses up as a common soldier. Uh, he doesn't want to dress up as the king because, you know, the, the enemy archers, they might, like, go after the king. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to make somebody else look like the king. I'm going to dress up like a common soldier. He doesn't tell his buddy Jehoshaphat that, by the way. Uh, and so in verse 31, I'm oh, sorry, verse 30, oh, sorry, verse 29, let's back up. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I'm going to disguise myself, and I'm going to go to battle, but put on thou thy robes. Um, so the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went to battle. So now we got one king that's got all the holy, uh, you know, the kingly attire on, probably the most polished armor, the, uh, the most polished helmet, and we've got one king that's dressed in, in common soldier stuff. And, uh, and so they go to battle, um, and it came to pass, oh, sorry, verse 30, now the king of Israel, or uh, the king of Syria, had commanded the captains of the chariots, oh, here we go, that were with him, saying, fight ye not with small or great, save only with the king of Israel. I want to take out the king of Israel. I have a beef with the king of Israel. And it came to pass, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, it's the king of Israel. He's got all this shiny armor on. Um, therefore, they compassed him about to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God moved them to depart from him. And let's, let's talk about that verse for a second. Jehoshaphat was robbed. He was robbed of his understanding of his relationship with God. He was robbed of his eyes, of his spiritual sight, to see which way he should be walking. Right? That's when I say he was robbed. He was robbed. Somehow, he was robbed of his ability to understand what was the right way to walk with God. And he chose the wrong way. And he's in a pickle. He's in a chariot. And he's got a bunch of Syrian soldiers going after him, shooting him with arrows. What would you do? He cries out. Now, it seems that like he cries out to God because God hears him. It's interesting that God didn't hold it against him. God heard his cry. There's a, there's a lesson in that. You're never too far gone to cry. You might feel you're really far away from God right now, 
I mean, Jehoshaphat, in the midst of this moment there, probably wasn't thinking about how far away he was from God. I can probably predict that with a high level of certainty. Uh, He was running for his life, and he was like crying, Lord, help me. God, help me. I will do anything. Help me. And God heard his cry. And God opened the eyes of the soldiers, and they realized that it wasn't him. For it came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived, they saw that it wasn't the king of Israel, they turned back again from pursuing him. And we're going to find you, if you would read and get into more detail, you'd find out that Ahab gets killed. And Jehoshaphat goes back home. And in the beginning of the next chapter, as he's coming home, he's met up with a seer, a prophet of sorts. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath upon thee, therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and hast prepared thy heart to seek God. And Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. And so we see repentance happen in Jehoshaphat. He had this tough time in his life, it was a struggle. He saw the mercy of God. He comes back home and he's like, you know what? It's time to go back to what I did at the beginning. The first actions of David are going to be my example again. I'm coming back. And he comes back. The interesting thing is that there's always repercussions. So the story's not over. You see, he took his army. Not only, oh, I forgot to mention, they lost. Million soldier army plus uh, uh, the other soldiers from Ahab, they didn't win. They come back home. Now what do you suppose happens when the people around you hear that your army lost in a war? And maybe there's no more million people in that army, but maybe there's more like, we don't know, 600,000, 400,000, who knows? In the next chapter, good old buddies, the Moabites, The Ammonites, those are the children of Lot, by the way, the descendants of Lot. So they have some little bit of an animosity against their fellow Jewish people. They decide, you know what? We're going to bring up an army. And we're going to gather other buddies. And so later on, we're going to read about the inhabitants of Mount Seir. When you do some research into who the inhabitants of Mount Seir are, uh, they're actually the descendants of Esau. So now we have the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Lot all coming together and they're going to fight against Judah. And they're gathering an army. And in chapter 20, uh, verse 2, then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. The interesting thing about this, the repercussions, isn't just it's isn't just that, that they lost the war and now he has fewer soldiers. These people are probably coming through Israel. Right? The guys that he buddied up with that just lost their king, that was kind of acting as a barrier for people to come through, are no longer acting as a barrier because they have no king. And now they have clear passage through Israel, around the outskirts or edges of Israel, around the Dead Sea, to come to Judah, to take out Judah. And there's always repercussions to sin. 
Now, if you were Hezekiah, one of the other kings, you would have opened up the treasury, stripped the gold from the temple, called out to Egypt, sent a messenger, said, I want to buy some mercenaries. Egypt, come help me. I'm going to pay you off. Jehoshaphat has learned his lesson. And this is the lesson for us. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. He saw the army, he was afraid. And set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I love this word. It's going to come up multiple times in this passage, this phrase, set yourself. The Hebrew translation is yatsev, Y-I-T-S-E-V. What it means, make a stand, present oneself. Present yourself. King Jehoshaphat feared. He presented himself to the Lord. He presented himself to the Lord and sought him and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And they start praying and they're not eating and they're, they're fasting They're down on their knees. They're crying out to God because the end is coming. Imagine us gathered here. We get a message that we're surrounded and there's some extremists on the way and they're taking us out. What do you do? Imagine as we're praying, as we're crying to God, as we're deciding that we're going to trust in the Lord, somebody from the audience stands up says, I have a message from God. And he said in verse 15, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziv, Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And you shall not need to fight in this battle Set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Imagine somebody standing up and saying that. What would you do? Would you believe? Or would you be thinking about another way out? I've got kids. I've got a wife. I don't know that person. I don't even know if they know God. I might know their family. Comes from a good heritage. Grandpa was great. Was an elder. Should I believe him? Would you believe him? Life's on the line. Right? That's when it comes down to it now for the people. And this prophet who stands up from the midst, not from the leadership, not from the front. He's not an elder. He's not known to be the prophet. He's not the king. He stands up from the midst of the audience that's together praying that's crying out to God and stands up and says, I have a message from God. And here's what you need to do. Set yourself. Tomorrow, you need to go out to the enemy and you need to present yourselves and see what God's going to do. Oh, great. Yeah, let's go see what God's going to do. You go see what God's going to do. I'm going to go pack up the minivan and go home. Is that what you would say? What do you do? When push comes to shove, God says, set yourself. Anchor, stand fast, present yourself to me. And some of you might know this story. <laughs> and, Je- and this is verse 19 now. Uh, and verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites 
And of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. If you believe, you will prosper. If you believe, you will be saved. And he's encouraging. I'm sure, I'm sure. There are some people that aren't so sure about what's going to happen today. And there's people that are singing. There's people that have full faith that God is going to take care of them. And there are some people that aren't so sure. And so Jehoshaphat is saying, believe, trust in God, turn to the Lord, set yourself. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. I would have loved to have been the singers um, on, on two levels. One is you're at the big front, right? So if the enemy does come, you're like toast. Uh, uh, there's no chance to run. But if the enemy doesn't come, you're the first to see what God's going to do. Which would, would you like to be a singer? I would. And when they began, oh, sorry, missed. And so, um, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, as they went out to the before the army, and to say, "Praise the Lord for His mercy endureth forever." And this is awesome. Right? They're going out. There's an army behind them. There's the singers in front, and they're going out. And the Bible tells us. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Basically, they killed themselves. They got into an argument, they fought, they beat up each other, and there's nobody left. But it took the people beginning to sing. It took the people presenting themselves before God. They couldn't sit in their houses. They couldn't pack their bags and be ready to bail and just see what God was going to do. No, 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 no. God wants your skin in the game. God wants, in their case, them to present themselves. And I would propose to you that he wants us to set ourselves. Set yourselves. Why is it so hard? Well, it's easy to say, but when your life's on the line, present yourself to God. When your family's life is on the line, present yourself. Present yourself to the Lord. Seek him. Don't take action on your own. Present yourself. It means I give up control. I don't know about you. Uh, it might be me, but I'm a little bit of a control freak. I like to know what's going on. I like to plan ahead a little bit. I love GPS and Waze. My, I love the app Waze because it tells me kind of what's coming ahead. There's a cop ahead. Not that I go fast, but... Um, I love to know there's an accident ahead. I love to know that there's an alternate route ahead. I like to know when you set yourself, you give that up. You give up control. Are you ready to give up control? You know, in Colossians, <coughs> our theme passage, if you turn to Colossians with me, not in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, um, in verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes to the church and he says this, beware, beware, watch out, be cautious, have your eyes open. Beware lest any man spoil you. You know what the word spoil means? It means to rob, it means to take. Beware lest any man robs you 
or takes you for a ride could be a modern interpretation. Beware, lest any man rob you by introducing you to philosophy, to intellectualism. I'm smarter, I'm better than everybody else. Intellectualism, to philosophy, to vain deceit, to these crazy ideas. Beware. It's so subtle. Jehoshaphat was robbed. He didn't realize he was robbed. Are we robbing ourselves is my question. That was a question I was asking myself as I was thinking about this passage in in Colossians 1. As I was thinking about why sometimes I feel like my life isn't all it could be for the Lord. Maybe it's just me. Maybe everybody else is fine. Maybe everybody else is, is totally good and their life is exactly what it could be in the Lord. But for me, there are times when I look at my life and I look back and I say, why is it not living up to the potential of what it could be? And I read this passage. The Apostle Paul says, beware, basically, don't let people take for a ride thinking that you can replace Jesus with something else. Beware, be cautious, because there's nothing other than Jesus. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. And so to this week, I would propose to you, let's stop focusing on ourselves. I think that's part of my problem, is I ask myself, what's God's will for me? You know, we were doing this men's Bible study in our church, and one of the things that kind of came out of it, what was so awesome is that, you know what, God has a will. He doesn't have a will for me, and he doesn't have a will for Tom, and he doesn't have a will for everybody in this row, including Elsa or Mike. He has a will, and he's asking us to step into his will, not to sit back and wait for him to enlighten us as to what his will for me is. It's not about me. It's not about Tom, and it's not about anybody else. It's about God. And this week, let's set ourselves. Let's reset ourselves to seek God, to know Jesus, to recognize that by knowing who he is, It shows me who I can be. That's what this week is about. It's by him. It's not about us. It's by him. It's not about me.